Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I am your host. And on today's episode, we are talking about West Virginia and taking a look at the bike scene up there. Specifically, we're talking about GRUSC, which stands for Gravel Ride Up Spruce Knob. And it is a bike race that has been taking place in West Virginia since 2016. It's evolved over the years and now offers distances from 25 miles up to 260. And each route features a long out and back up Spruce Knob, which is the highest point in West Virginia at 4,863 feet. When Travis, the race director, contacted me about coming out, I was immediately interested and excited. I had done a bikepacking trip in West Virginia back in 2019, and that trip shared some of the same roads and trails that Grusk goes on. And I remember this area being very beautiful and remote, and I was excited to go see it again and uh, check out the cycling scene up in West Virginia and see what that was like. And I'm happy to report that West Virginia is just as wild and wonderful as I remember, and the cycling scene is thriving as well. I spent the weekend following the 240 and 260-mile riders and taking some photos and then after they were done, I sat down with the two first place single speed winners of the 260 mile route, Chris Joyce and Maggie Livelsberger, to get their perspective on the route, the race, and to hear their experiences. And I also sat down with Travis Olson, the race director, to tell us more about this event. So that's what we have coming up for you on today's episode. But before we get to it, let's take a moment to thank the people that made it possible, starting with our latest batch of patrons. Oh, wait, we don't have any this week, but that's okay. Maybe next week, maybe next week, I'll be saying your name on the podcast. We appreciate all 333 of our patrons that support this work on a monthly basis. And if you appreciate these episodes and would like to help us produce them, you can find out how over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. All right. This week we're doing something fun. Stan's sent me a couple new pairs of wheels and what we're going to do today is I'm going to unbox my first set of wheels with you. We're going to take a first look and I'm going to give you my impressions right out of the box. So here we go. Already opened up the box. Take this bad boy out. First, we're starting with the rear wheel. All right. So we have a Flow MK4. Uh, this is going to be for a mountain bike that I'm building up. And so this is a little bit more of a beefy wheel. And right off the bat, I'm telling you, this thing looks sweet. One thing I really like in a wheel is uh, kind of subtle graphics. And this one has a very nice matte black finish. It's not a polished finish. It is this matte finish, which I really like. And then the 
logo, the lettering is also very minimal. It's just a light gray on there that says Flow MK4 stands, and that's it. And I'm excited about these because they are laced to the new Impulse Hub, uh, which is supposed to be a really nice hub. And the most important test, let's see how it sounds. You ready? Oh, baby, that's so butter. <laughs> Woo! Let's do it again. I like that. Let's see if we can go. Oh, that sounds so good. That sound makes me want to ride my damn bike. Absolutely love it. This wheel uh, looks sexy as hell. It sounds sexy. It feels durable. I cannot wait to get this thing out on the bike and uh, give it a spin. Um, also, each wheel comes with a little tag um, that says obviously what it is, but who it's built by, who it was trued by, and who it was inspected by. So um, three different people have to sign off on each one of their wheels, which I thought was cool. I cannot wait to put those on a bike and go ride them. They are beautiful. Thank you so much, Stans. Um, and they also sent me an, another wheel set for my Panorama Katadin. That is my carbon gravel bike. So we're going to keep it light. And they sent me a set of their Grail CB7 Team, which is a carbon wheel set from them. I couldn't even wait to do an unboxing on these things. I, I got them. I took them directly to the bike shop. They're getting installed right now. And I'm going to take you on a test drive of that new wheel set on my Panorama Kata Den. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to take you along for a test drive. To learn more about stands and their wide array of bicycling products, not only sealant, but hey, wheels and hubs and all kinds of good stuff, head over to notubes.com and check out all their offerings and tune in to more Bikes or Death episodes to find out how I like the Grail CB7s coming soon. And also, I want to remind y'all, if you haven't picked yourself up a pair of Ombras yet, you are missing out. They are the world leader in armless sunglasses. Sounds weird, I know, but don't just trust me. Trust legends like Sarah Swallow, John Watson, Ultra Romance. You'll see these armless sunglasses dangling around their necks or on their faces and that's not by accident. These are amazing sunglasses and Ombras is making it easy for you to own a pair and support your favorite podcast all at the same time. How are they doing that, you ask? Well, Ombras is offering you $20 off any pair of their sunglasses. All you have to do is use code BOD20 at checkout. You get $20 off a pair of sunglasses and Ombras will send Bikes for Death $20 as a thank you. So this is a win-win situation. To check out their shades, go to www.ombraz.com and don't forget to use the promo code BOD20 at checkout to get yourself $20 off a fresh pair of shades and send your favorite podcast a fresh $20 bill. All right, everyone, that is it. The bills have been paid, and now it is time to get on to my chat with Travis, Chris, and Maggie. So the 
format for today's episode is first up, like the first 25, 30 minutes or so is me talking with Travis all about Grusk. And then we transition into my conversation and interview with Chris and Maggie. We had a lot of fun. It was a super great event. I had a blast and I can't wait to share it with you. But first, let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes for Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Travis, welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. Hey, thanks, Patrick, for having me. Of Glad course. to be here. No, thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I can't believe you actually agreed to come out to West Virginia and, and hang out in the, in the woods and watch 400 bike racers bike through the gravel roads. So I mean, awesome. yeah, I'm, I'm an easy yes. This is what I want to be doing. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I love... I mean, I didn't start a podcast because I want to keep bikepacking a secret or, you know, cycling a secret or a love for the outdoors, right? Like I, right. I want to be, I want to be at events like this, covering them and shining a light on them to whatever degree that I can. Um, and this event, I think, deserves a little light shown on it, you know, like there, I was talking about this on the last podcast or actually maybe two ago, I can't remember, recently. But there, if it's gotten to the point now where there's so many events that it's it's impossible to keep up for, uh, with, you know, like I as somebody who kind of yeah. covers and you know, uh, it, it, yeah, featuring like different events, different riders, like I cannot keep up with all of them. Um, and this one is one that has been going on. I think this was the eighth year. And I'd never heard of it. So, I mean, I, you know, sometimes it just takes someone picking up the phone and calling me and be like, hey, we've got something cool going on here. I'd love for you to come check it out. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. And it was kind of cool because full circle, like you, I came and did a bikepacking trip here in West Virginia, like right in this same area. Like it was either 2018 or 2019. I can't recall. And then you heard that episode. And that got you turned on to Bikes for Death. And then eventually yeah, absolutely. You, you were like, well, let's bring this guy out here and, and have him come check it out in person. So Yeah, that worked out really well. Yeah, I was on a, uh, I was on a business trip down to Cherokee, North Carolina, and um, I was just looking for podcasts. And, and I was actually looking for North Fork Mountain, which is one of the big Emba Epic mountain bike trails in the area. And, and you had mentioned that or tagged that in your podcast and that's how you popped up. Oh. And after that, I was hooked. I downloaded them all that you had at that time and listened to it all the way down and back from Cherokee, from West Virginia to Cherokee and back. So, oh. uh, and then I was hooked. I've been hooked ever since. Wow. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's an amazing podcast and it's one of my favorites. Yeah. I appreciate it. Well, now you get to be on it. Yeah, now I my little 15 minutes of fame. So thanks, Patrick. <laughs> no, man, thank you. I'm easy. Uh, <clears throat> so it's the day after. So we're sitting here Sunday morning at the event still. You just ushered through somewhere in the neighborhood of four to 500 people um, over the last three or four days. Um, it's raining. How are you feeling? 
I'm tired, <laughs> but I'm feeling good. It, it, it was a really, it was a really good event this year. A lot of it had to do with the weather and um, the attitude of the other participants that showed up. I mean, a sunny day always helps, but when they come back to uh, come back across the finish line and have a cold beer waiting on them and friends cheering them on, um, it's just an infectious energy that just invade your body and you can't help but smile and, and feel accomplished when you yeah. when you see that many people having fun and all that positive energy and yeah. it's amazing that was a good time I, I this is definitely what i personally am attracted to i do it in my own event but bring everybody together at the end and have a party have a beer have have some conversations and and it gives everybody that opportunity to kind of relive their experience create friendships and build the community and I, I personally really enjoy that approach to, you know, cycling events, you know, at the end, just coming together and having that camaraderie. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, and that's what I really like about gravel. Um, the road racing scene, I mean, you make friends that way in the mountain biking scene. And I've made some really good friends, the friends that are here today. But the gravel scene, um, it's really it's really a community. Um, and that's what that's what I love about it. And you can see the the small pockets and the small factions um, that come to this event. And, you know, they see they see other other groups of gravel riders and make acquaintances and and friendships and. Um, it's just nice to be able to, to bring that many people together and, and yeah. you know, help them connect. It is. It's a, it's a, it's a very impactful feeling to, I, like, I pinched myself. I'm like, man, this is so great to think, like, I did this. I, I created something. I brought all these people here, and it's a really good feeling, and you don't want to make it all about yourself, but, you know, it, it feels good. You're it like, does. wow. Wow. Yeah, it, feel, it feels really good. Yeah, it, it's a really, it's a, it's a good feeling. It feels like you did something good, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes you lose sight of that, um, you know, and, and as a, and as an event promoter, you're well aware of all the hard work and the, the late nights leading up to it. And sometimes you lose focus of how fulfilling it is and that good feeling at the end, but you know, it's going to be there. Yeah. Um, it's the same as the bike ride, man. If you're going to 260 Absolutely. miles, you're like, why am I doing this? Why am I here? This sucks. Uh, but then you finish and you're like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. why I did it. Yeah, it's it's definitely like just a long, hard bike ride where it's just a type A fun where, yeah. it, you know, you're in the you're in the throes of it and you might not like it. But then you get out of it and it's it's uh, it was well worth all the effort. Yeah, I don't know how well aware other people are of how much of an endurance effort it is to put on a multi-day event like this from an event director standpoint, because I know you have been sleeping, you know, probably less than four hours every single night for four or five days in a row. And throughout the day, you're having to work, engage with people, manage people and, and run an event that's, you know, catering to four to five hundred people, safety, right. logistics, food, music, uh, everything. Right. And um, I don't know how aware everybody else is of how much behind the scenes of an endurance effort it is to to just conduct one of these events. Yeah. Um, and I think before I started um, doing this, I really had no idea. And, and until you actually do one, um, it's it's really the hidden behind the scenes kind of things that you don't even think about. And it all adds up. Um, and there is a lot of work involved. And luckily, I have... Uh, you know, an amazing core group of friends that come and help me with this every year and just 
make it happen, and I couldn't do it without them. Um, but yeah, there's a there's some sleepless nights, and when you're up here in the in the mountains for four or five days, um, it's uh, it it it's worth it, um, definitely. But um, you know, trying to carve out some more sleep is probably one of my strategies for the future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more help equals more sleep. I think. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Some of those little things like uh, bike reg emails and. And just reminders and setting up the aid stations and all the lists and lists and lists of things that have to happen, you know, start, um, start delegating that out. And, um, that's, that's one of the things that I'm probably not the best at, you know, it's, uh, you know, I hate to put too much on other people. I kind of try to put it all on myself and, you know, I'm getting a little bit better. It's not that I want to micromanage it. It's just, I hate putting other people out for, for this event, but you know, the folks that, um, you know, the friends that I have who come and help with this, um, you know, they've told me again and again just how much they love it. And, you know, they're they're equal partners in, in yeah. all of this. And, you know, they love it as much as I do. Yeah, I've seen that throughout the weekend. I mean, you have a, a, a great team of friends and uh, volunteers that are, yeah, just really engaged and helpful. And, uh, yeah, it's been really, it's been amazing, actually. I'm impressed by how many people are here supporting the event and, Everybody's having a good time. Everybody has a smile on their face. And uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, the vibe is good. You know, everybody's happy and having a good time. It's just a fun place to be. And people like, I mean, it's the same thing we were saying. It's like, oh, it feels good to do something and and to be a part of this, to, to be able to offer at least, you know, on some level, some assistance to help facilitate people coming and experiencing this event and having it be safe and fun. It feels good, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And it, it brings people um, to this really, it's a remote part of West Virginia, but when they get here and um, see the venue and they learn about what this venue is all about and um, the nonprofit that is behind this venue and and the mission that they have, uh, it helps it helps them spread the word about the cool things that happen here. Um, and just being a magical place altogether. When you, when you roll up the road into this venue, you see just the expanse of all the meadows, um, that you're going to be camping in. And then you come down and see the, the big yurts that, you know, we're sitting in right now. And it's, it's really unique. And, you know, I've never seen really anything like this. And it's, you know, it's special to have it here in West Virginia. So close to, you know, at home, really. This year that we're in is just sick, and I, I do want to, uh, yeah, touch on it real quickly because I think having a cool venue does kind of help the event in a way. You know, it's like, well, I'm you feel like excited to be here, and you're right, mm-hmm. like you crest that hill, hill of the meadow, and you come over that little hill, and then you see these like this beautiful three yurt uh, structure. Um, yeah, where are we? That. So we're in the middle. I mean, I like to say we're in the middle of everything, but we're not close to anything. Okay. Um, so we're, we're close to Circleville, West Virginia, which is um, just down the road from Seneca Rocks. That's one of the, the major landmarks in West Virginia that people might be familiar with. Um, but we're nestled in the Monongahela National Forest. Um, it's a, it, it takes up almost half of um, West Virginia. It's, it's pretty expansive, but... This um, this venue that we're in, it's a it's a 500 acre in holding that's surrounded by the national forest, um, and uh, we're fortunate enough to be able to to use it for this event. And um, 
you know, it really works out well. I mean, it's, it's, it's challenging because it is so remote and there aren't a lot of resources, mm-hmm. um, even within an hour's drive of the venue, um, which, so logistically it's, it's really hard to have an event here, but, um, the reward is, you know, everybody and their comments about how incredible this place is and they get to come and ride bikes in such a beautiful place and, and stay for the after party under these really cool yurts and, you were saying that this yurt is, I, I, I got it wrong on the pod when I was doing my interview yesterday. It's the biggest in West Virginia. Or it's the biggest in America. What, what was the? I'll have to. Okay. Don't I should, want, we don't I should have liars. asked some of the staff. So I don't want to be, it's definitely the biggest in West Virginia. Okay, for sure. Um, we got that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'll probably have to get back to you on, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to lie to you and overstate yeah. it, but I, I think I heard it's, it's one of the largest in the country in wow. the United States. Yeah. Well, it's very cool, and I got some pictures of it. People can go to my website and <clears throat> or social media, and I'll, I'll have some pictures of the yurt and and the grounds here for people to check out. Oh, great! But it makes yeah, it, it makes it like when I came over the hill, I was like, oh, sick. That's where we're staying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people have that yeah. same because you said we're in an in holding in a national forest, so I, it's like Mulberry Gap in you know Georgia. You yeah, know, it's another in holding, and there's just these little pockets of really cool places um <clears throat> where you can host an event and you're in uh the thick of the national forest in a really beautiful place and then you just find an amazing venue like this it's pretty incredible yeah it's just so lucky i had i grew up in west virginia and had no idea that this place was here yeah. um until you know i learned about other events and just happened on it and um you know reached out to them to you know build a gravel race or um at the time around this venue and it's really worked out yeah well that's a great segue uh how and when and maybe why did you start grus because it's evolved a lot over the past eight years so how did it start and give us a little brief history of it uh, yeah so the the history is uh, my friends and i would um ride in this area you know a couple times a year and um, we always talked about putting some type of, or we would say, you know, it'd be nice to have an event that would go up to Spruce Knob. And um, my buddies, I'm, I'm easily talked into things. So um, after we did um, one of our New Year's Eve rides up Spruce Knob um, in the middle of winter, uh, we decided to um, try it in the following summer. And um, that's when I reached out to the folks here at Experience Learning to see about using the venue. And it all just rolled from there. It, and it just built up steam every, every year and um, you know, started off with a really small pocket of 100 folks, mainly from the area um, and a few from D.C. who had heard about it because we're, we're only about three hours away from Washington, D.C. in the Northern Virginia area and that big, huge population. So um, I was able to draw on that and draw from within the state and um, just through word of mouth, not much advertising on my part. It's just growing every year. Yeah. So it's evolved to, it started as an 85 mile. Is that right? Yeah, it started as um, the original race. I had two distances. Um, Trying and I may remember. have to fact check myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a there was a shorter um, thirty mile distance, and there was a seventy three mile distance. Yeah, um, the first year, and um, the courses the 
all the courses share the trip up the spruce knob and back down. Um, but the course has really evolved. Uh, the first year I had a really busy um, two-lane road uh, that was really heavy with truck traffic and tourist traffic. And I found some other roads that are even more remote that are all gravel. So it's uh, allowed me to create a, a gravel event that is almost 90, over 90% gravel. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so it's 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 pretty neat. I've actually had a couple complaints about having too much gravel because I think, you know, riders like to have that smooth pavement for just a little bit. It feels like they get a little rest. Yeah. Well, they got smooth pavement on the way up to uh, Spruce Knob. Yeah, that absolutely. Last, that last stretch is some of the, it's like glass. Man. It is. That's some nice pavement. And it feels that way on the bike. Yeah. So let's talk about the significant of spruce significance of Spruce Knob. Yeah, so Spruce Knob is the highest peak in West Virginia, um, just over 4,800 feet. Um, so that's uh, that's one of the draws um, for our participants. They get to say that they've biked to the highest peak in West Virginia, and kind of check that uh, you know off their list of things they probably didn't know they wanted to do. Yeah. When I came in, uh, it's been fun because I told you I did that bikepacking trip, you know, five or six years ago. And um, I remember we went to Spruce Knob Lake. Um, so I, you know, I, I drove down to Spruce Knob Lake. I'm like, yep, this is the place. And I re- it brought me back. I was trying to remember if I rode up to Spruce Knob. Um, but once I, once I like came back to the area and I was driving around, I was like, oh no, we didn't do that. I, re- I specifically remember opting out of, because <laughs> how, how long is it? But it, you know, it's not a loop. Every single buddy, every single person is doing it. It's an out and back. And I, I don't know, it's about six miles. I said yesterday. Yeah, on the yeah you're exactly right. Okay. So from the venue where we are to the top, it's 12 miles, but from the lake, it's roughly six, a mm-hmm. little over six miles to the summit. Yeah. So, um, and it's, it's, it's a mixture of pavement and gravel and it's the grade's not that crazy. Right. So it's really a, an every person's kind of mountain that you can come climb on your bike. Yeah. It's just long. That's what we said on the podcast yesterday. It's just, it's a six mile long climb. I think, uh, Chris said it's an average 4% grade. So, you know, you just get into a cadence and and you work your way up it and then you have six miles of downhill. Yeah. It's amazing. (laughs) I, I love, um, one thing I, I really like, uh, what I did with my showdown is like, I have the death loop at the end. It's kind of just like a, a little kick in the teeth <laughs> yeah. at the very end. And, you know, for the, the longer distances and I think just about everyone, I mean, depending on the length, right. Some of them are just going up and down, but mm-hmm. you have it essentially at the end of every route that's, that's longer, um, as kind of like, and I, I really like that. It's like, it's the hardest challenge, but also it's kind of the biggest reward at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And when I first started the event, we had the summit last for for all categories. Um, and now I reserve it last for the the longer two hundred plus mile, you know, bike packing uh, routes that we have. Um, I moved the other um, categories to do the summit first last year. Um, is mainly for tourist traffic. Mm. You know, it gets pretty busy up there when it when the weather's nice. Yeah. Um, and when the weather's not nice, uh, there's a lot of electrical storms in the afternoon. So it was really twofold to start them uh, to the summit and back down 
um, for the Saturday event, um, just for safety reasons. That and, makes a lot of sense. When um, I was out there yesterday, I saw that exact like as the day went on, the traffic was just increasing. Yeah, yeah. So, and it can be pretty dangerous because um, yeah. you know you'll see you'll see a, a rider in a super tuck going down that six mile gravel descent, and uh, the last thing I want to see is them uh, a hood ornament on someone's car. So you know I, I try to I'm risk averse. The older I get, sure. I'm becoming a little more risk averse, and I just want to make a, a safer event. So that was one of the things to, to make it safer. And, and um, it, it allows them to attack that fresh. And I think they like that. Um, but for the 200 plus, we keep it at the end because that's the true challenge. You're, you're finishing your ride at the top of Spruce Knob, essentially, yeah. before you come to the venue. Yeah, I love it. I also love the, the out and back with getting to see people, you know, like if you're going up, that's other cool. ones are coming down and uh, I, I just think that's a cool element yeah. to, to a race, you know? Yeah. And especially if you're riding with friends or teammates, you know, you can give them some encouragement as you're heading down and, you know, they might be on the struggle bus getting up to the summit and, yeah. you know, they see a friendly face and it gives them a little bit of energy to, to pick up the pace and, you know, kick it in a little bit and maybe get there a little bit quicker. Yeah. It's fun. And it's beautiful up there. We should also yeah. acknowledge. Yeah. You can see for, you know, 50 or 60 miles, you can see into Virginia from the top of Spruce oh, wow. Knob. Um, it's, it's on a clear day. Um, it's just mountain after mountain after mountain. Yeah. It's beautiful. It reminded me of the Blue Ridge Mountains in Western North Carolina. Yeah. Similar. Uh, just that, I mean, just layers of those rolling mountains. Yeah. For, I mean, miles and miles and miles. Yeah, it really does. You know, they're a little bit bigger down there, but it, it's that same. I couldn't tell. It was a, yeah. It's that same mountain view, yeah. just the the overlapping mountains as yeah. you look out. Yeah, it's beautiful. So one thing that I had commented on is that, and, and you're very aware of, is that at this point in its eighth year, you've you've developed many different route options. You have competitive, you have non-competitive, and you have a lot of moving parts. So, <laughs> For sure. Uh, Give us like a rundown of like of, of the options and the route options that are available to people uh, that want to come out here and check it out. Yeah, so I I try to I try my best to design the entire event to be inclusive, and that's inclusive of really any almost any bike ability. Um, maybe just maybe not off the couch for the first time rider, but. Um, our 25 mile route is designed to, to, if you just bike on the rail trail, it's a really good challenge um, to come take on that easy grade. Um, it's just long to get to the summit. And then we have Not every- to, I'm gonna interrupt you real quick, yeah. but just to your point, uh, there was a 10 year old yesterday that did the 25 mile, uh, she was the daughter of the bike shop owner there in Elkins. Yeah, that was Hallie. Um, and she's a she's an amazing biker at 10 years old. And of course, both of her parents are just expert level mountain bikers. Yeah. And that was, I think, I'm quite certain that was our youngest. We've had some, we've had some kids um, on tandems, on the back of tandems. Mm. Um, but I think she was the youngest one who's been under her own power to climb to the summit of Spruce Knob at Grusk. So yeah, amazing. it was amazing to see, yeah. you know, I wish I could have been there to see her, you know, oh, at the yeah. summit. That would have been really cool. Yeah. But yeah, thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah. Was, and then when I was out there, I saw, I mean, I, it's what you want to see. I mean, I saw a breadth, a, a, a great variety of all kinds of people and riders and yeah. ability levels. And, and, uh, it, it, that's what you want to see. Yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. And it's a, and after, after the 25, we have a 50 mile and we have an 80 mile, hundred mile, and then we get 
into the 200 mile, but we try to design something for everyone. And to me, you can pick your challenge, you know, and, and I think people do that, though, especially the people that come back year after year, they may start out on the 25 and then they'll try the 50 because they hear about another awesome eight mile downhill that's on the 50 mile route, or yeah. they'll hear about the view that's on the 80 mile route. Um, and some of those challenges and it's nice to see them progress like that year after year yeah i like i like having different route options for a couple reasons one you know you can come with your friends your partner you know whoever and you may be at different levels but you can both participate in in the event uh, at whatever level you want to be at and then the other thing that I think that you're doing is you're giving people, you know, stepping stones and, and you can start at the 25 and you could eventually work all the way up to the, the 260 if you want to. And yeah. so I like that having the progression of events to just keep people coming back. And um, to, to your point, I mean, have it be inclusive and that, that cast a pretty wide net and you're able to, to get a lot of people of different abilities, interest level, you know, what kind of fun are you interested in at the same event? Yeah. Yeah. you know, which is really cool. Yeah. And it's really cool. And we, we, so we stagger the starts a little bit too. They don't really finish at the same, exactly the same time, but you know, they're collectively, you know, coming in. So you may be on the finishing hill with, you know, your friend that did the 25 mile route and you did the 70 mile route just based on, you know, your different paces. So you're going to be Katie McGuire that did the 260 on the non-competitive and she came in at the same time as some of the people on the, like the 85 mile. I don't know who they were. Yeah. But she, there was like a race, you know, one of the gravel racers coming in and she was coming in and yeah, they're just all trickling in at different times. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, and that's true. And, and what, what is really cool about, about the meadows that people camp in. So when those, those longer 200 mile plus, um, riders come in off of their course and they're hard, day or days and they're coming in at night and everybody's camping you can hear cheers as they roll through the road between the you know the meadows that everybody's camping in and you know it's it's moving um to see to see that support um for those riders coming in and that's um you know I, and i don't know if you see that too many other places for for those really long distance rides like that oh yeah Let's talk about uh, non-competitive versus competitive. Uh, you have a couple different options. Yeah. You're timing some, you're not timing others. So what does that break down? Yeah, so last year I decided to make it a non-competitive Grand Fondue for our Saturday event. Um, and it was partly selfish for me. It, it's a little bit easier to manage, um, not, having, not having to worry about um, people racing the entire course. And it was a little bit for safety. Um, there are parts of the course where it was really dangerous for them to be racing with some of the tourist traffic. So it encourages people to, to, you know, keep their head up and, and, um, you know, look around and not have to pedal as fast in some of those more dangerous areas. Um, and it, it, what I have found, I was worried that it was going to be the death nail in, in this event, um, in doing that. Um, and I caught some people off guard and I had a lot of, um, a little, not a lot, a little bit of backlash for, for doing that from the, the tip of the spear racers that mm -hmm. were used to coming to, to Grusk and, you know, just hammering for 70 or a hundred miles. Um, but what I've heard, what I heard last year is people like the non-competitive aspect. And I heard that echoed 
this year. But within that non-competitive event, what I've designed is our Strava challenges. And they're for fun too, mm. but it gives people a carrot and you know, they're looking for those. I have them all marked on the course so they can go out and hammer with their friends and then regroup at the end, almost like an enduro mountain bike event. And there's some other events that have done this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did an event like that in... Um, back in 2017, the 50 Shades of Gravel, and um, we we timed the segments, and it was a lot of fun. And what you saw were just pockets of people riding together, and then they would, you know, hammer that segment out and regroup and yeah. party pace it to the next one. Man, that's a good idea. I might have to steal that idea. Sounds like you stole it from someone else, so we'll just keep the stealing alive. Yeah, like absolutely. That. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is a that is a fun way to do it. And then with your longer events, the 220 and the 260. Um, essentially you have a, a touring pace, a three day yes. or more of a race pace, which is a, a two day. Um, so you can pick your flavor on the longer distances. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that seems to be pretty well received. It was a pretty even split between the, the three day bike packing crowd, um, and the, the two day or some of the, I think our fastest, our, it was a fastest known time this year, um, uh, from the winner of the the 220 mile route, I think he knocked that out in 15 hours. Oh wow! I don't know the exact number. I don't have it in front of me, but it was just over 15 hours. So he you, he crushed it. You have a bunch of new FKTs on the 260 because this was the first year for absolutely for the 260, right? So yeah. Everybody who won there. So we have two single speed FKTs and two geared FKTs yeah. essentially. So that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And a and brand I, new route, and they got to test it out for me. And the, the, the feedback was great. great. I, I got to talk to Chris and Maggie yesterday and, um, yeah, nothing but positive reviews from your two single speed winners. And, oh, that's good to hear. And I mean, from my perspective, uh, just, I mean, I, I drove around about 200 miles in the two days that I was here and, uh, absolutely impressed with what I saw. And it really made me jealous to be in a car and <laughs> taking pictures and not out there riding. And it, yeah. I, I, I would love to come back and, and tour it, you know, maybe race it, but I, I tend to like the touring option more. Yeah, I, I probably would too. I, I strive to get back in the shape where I could even tour those long days. I'll be letting myself, you know, go a little bit, but you know, it, it inspires me to see these people and what they can do, um, to get back on the bike and, you know, really get after it. Start a podcast. You'll get inspired. Just talk to people (laughs) all the time and you're like, you can't help, but, uh, but be inspired. So I have to ask being the bike packing guy, I, I mean, the 220 and the 260, are, are amazing. And I'm, I don't want to, uh, you know, cast any shadow on that, but I am curious, like, do you have any thoughts about extending and, and offering even longer events at some point? Yeah, absolutely. I've been working on a, a state wide or a state long, um, route. And that's a bike packing route that starts at, in, in the North of West Virginia and goes all the way to the Southern, Southern border with Virginia. Wow. And some of that, um, some of that is now shared with the Eastern continental divide. Um, it was, um, you know, I was talking to the folks who were putting that together and, uh, I think some of, some of what we were talking about made it into, oh, cool. into that route. Um, but the plan is to, um, maybe maybe create something that's a little more, uh, a lot longer and then loop it around. So we could have a possibly 600 mile loop in West Virginia wow. where you could either, um, ride it North to South, South to North. And that would be your day or days. Or if you'd want to make a really extended loop out of it and be out there for, for a week or more, 
um, and showcase everything that this state has to offer. Yeah. Yeah. I dig it, man. Well, uh, I don't have any other questions. This is, this has been a great event. It's in a beautiful location. It's well run. Um, everybody was safe. Everybody, I mean, and, and, you know, I was in the audience and, you know, some people know who I am. A lot of people don't. And so I was, I was hearing what people were (laughs) chattering and, uh, I only heard good things. I mean, I heard good things about the non-competitive aspect of it, and um, I heard good things about how well it was run, and everybody was having a good time. Oh, and that's great. It's a beautiful venue. So, uh, yeah, again, I appreciate you bringing me out. Is there is there anything we didn't touch on that you think people need to know about this event? Um, well, we we'll be doing it again next year. So we'll, that's important. We'll, we'll be setting. Yeah, we'll be setting <laughs> the date, and we'll announce that. So, yeah, that's. Uh, that's a, that's very important. But so, what's I, the best way to people to follow what you're doing and make sure they're up to date with? Because you don't only do this event. You talked about the Fifty Shades of Gravel, so you're you're doing other events in the area too. Yeah, this is this is the main event that I do right now, just for the sake of you know work and home life and things like that. It's about all I can handle right now. Yeah. Um. So the best way to find out more about this is um, our website mountainrides.net, uh, or look up Grusk on on social media and yeah. that'll that'll usually point you here or just listen to this episode on repeat <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> selfish plug there all right man well thanks again it's yeah. been it's been a fun experience it's been a wild and wonderful experience well thank you patrick yeah thank you travis Uh, well, let's do it. Uh, why don't we go ahead and introduce ourselves? Uh, who are you? Where are you from? And uh, yeah, how long was the how long was your drive or trip to get here? Let's start um, there. Okay. Well, I'm Chris Joyce from Knoxville, Tennessee, and um, it took me via Virginia and Pittsburgh forever to get here. Uh, anyways, I'm about six six hours or so from home, so. You're from Tennessee. Yep. Is that where you're living right now? Yep. Knoxville. Okay. Is that Eastern Tennessee? It sure is. Yeah. I hear you're an Eastern Tennessee legend. (laughs) Uh, Something like that. That's that's the rumor on the internet. So it must be true. I mean, yeah, I guess I won't, I won't argue with, I've been riding bikes a lot for, for a while. So, and I like, uh, I like dumb, hard things, you know? Yeah. You're my kind of perfect people. You know, if we're going to go for it, like, why not? Yeah. And, uh. I think life's about stories. So go out and uh, have some experiences, make some stories. And that's why we come do this stuff, I think. Man, that's perfect because I'm in the story capturing business. I don't know if you know that, but I do a podcast and what? I actually collect stories and put them on the internet. So this is, we're a perfect match. There, there you go. Wonders never cease. No, they certainly don't. All right, Maggie. Um, I'm Maggie Livelsberger and I am from Erie, Pennsylvania. And I think it was about a seven and a half hour drive for us. Not too bad. Yeah. Okay. Very uneventful. Uh, and Maggie, are you like people on the internet? I've seen people were texting me about you. You have a, a, a like a nickname of Large Marge. <laughs> yes. I I asked some other people where you got the nickname, and nobody could tell me. So I'm going to have to ask you. It is uh, from PB's Big Adventure, and that 
I think my brother gave me that nickname when we were kids and it kind of stuck. So all my friends in high school called me Large Marge or Marge <laughs> um, and it just never went away. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it was probably five. Any reason why he just, it was just a random nickname? I, I think I used to do the tell him Large Marge sent you <laughs> all the time. Incessantly, actually, probably in my uh, childhood. So That's so fun. Brought it on myself. I like it. It's a great nickname. Thank you. Um, let's set the stage of where we are because this is kind of fun. Uh, we're in, uh, we're, we're, does he even know what this place is called? This yurt thing? I think it's the Outdoor uh, Experience Learning Center. It's really neat. It's, yeah. uh, I think Travis, the race director, said it's, um, one of the largest yurts is either in the, I think the United States, the largest yurt in the United States, maybe in this state. I don't remember which one, but it's really cool. And we're sitting under a little gazebo thing that's actually a pathway towards the bathroom. And um, it's one of the only places that we could find that was far enough away from the band that's supposed to be starting up soon that also has electricity and it's quite the sight. <laughs> People are going to be like ducking in here. I'm going to uh, start charging for the bathroom pretty soon. Ooh, see, that's why they call you Large Mars. Those are big <laughs> ideas right there. That's right. She's in charge. <laughs> hey, actually, if you just want to conduct the podcast, I'll just take the night off. That would be sweet. <laughs> All right, Chris, you ready? Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, let's do this. We were rambling forever about bikes earlier, so we can do this. And take it away, Maggie. Or, so do you go by, what, what do most people call you? What do your friends call you? Do they um, call you Marge? they call you Large Marge? Both. They call you, Marge or Maggie. And then um, usually at races when I meet people for the first time, they don't actually know my name's Maggie. So I answer to Large Marge okay. anytime. <laughs> I love it. It's so, so much fun. Uh, so I'll, I'll have to find my own personal groove with where I land on large, you know, I'm just going to play with it and right. see what comes out naturally. I'll answer to all of it. Excellent. Uh, well, I've, um, I posted some pictures of, of y'all on social media yesterday. I was driving around. Y'all saw me out there popping out of the woods with my camera, scaring people. Um, and I got so many messages from so many different people about both of y'all. And I, I, I actually wrote down a couple just for fun, just for fun. So Chris, Travis Jolly said, oh, yeah. that dude with a beard is an East Texas legend. Tennessee. He, what did I say? Texas. Texas. Oh my gosh. Let's yeah. fix he's, that. He's trying Texas to claim the you. legend. No, no, no. He's that's... trying to claim the legend in Texas too. <laughs> These are how legends start. <laughs> no, no. That was, I want to be the East Texas. I, that was my own Freudian slip. The East Tennessee legend. He has taught me the ways of single speeding here in the mountains. And uh, Travis Jolly actually came down to my event on a single speed and was was making some geared people look silly at the beginning. Everybody was like, what the fuck? It was really interesting. Nobody around, you he know. He was the man in black. Yeah, nobody yeah, knew who he, he was. Me. I was out there with my camera. I took a picture and something looked a little funny. I zoomed in and I was like, yep, he doesn't have any gears and he's leading this race. And like Dennis and Kuya are fast. I mean, these guys are roadies. They're, they're racing roadie types. And uh, I talked to him later, like, we couldn't catch him. It was anyway. So that's what Travis said. Yep. Um, Maggie, Zachary Grass said, Maggie is a total badass 
and I highly recommend talking to her. So both of y'all, like, people were like, oh, you got to talk to him. You got to talk to him. You got to talk to him. So, like, fill in the blanks for me, getting to know you guys. Like, um, what is it that your friends are talking about? You know, what makes you a legend? Why are you a badass? What have you done? Uh, leading up before Grusk, obviously, we're going to talk about this event that we're doing today. But, yeah, what are, what are some of the things that y'all have done previously? Maggie? Who wants to go first? Well, the pressure's on. I um, think, Maggie, you won Doom this year, right? Mm-hmm. I do know that about you. Yeah. So that, that's cool. Yeah, women's. Oh, yeah. Uh, women's mm-hmm. side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I actually just started bikepacking last year, bikepack racing, with the Arkansas High Country. I did the South Loop and won that um, and then rolled into Doom and... I don't know, just keep adding more shit that people send to me on my list <laughs> to uh, to do. So it's definitely a newer foray for me. Um, same with single speeding. I Last year was my first full year of racing single speed. So, and wow. same for this. So what were you doing pri- prior to, like, bikepack racing? Um, I did, I've always been interested in the endurance stuff so i did michigan coast to coast which was my first single speed race ever that one's 200 miles uh, across michigan and then i did the gravel world 300 so those are and then high country those are the the first three single speed races that i'd done Uh, before that was mostly mom and pop races near our area with a lot of climbing i've always liked climbing so still a cyclist just different genre of of cycling Mm -hmm. i started um cycling during covid oh really yeah so it was you're new to cycling Mm -hmm. in general uh was that a covid hobby were you one of the covid babies um we moved to erie in 2019 and my uncle's a cyclist and he he said you're gonna start cycling with me when you move here and you have to ride 100 miles total before you can ride with me. I'm like, well, I got nothing else to do. So that's what I started doing. And uh, it just kind of stuck. What was your motivation to ride with him? Uh, I didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I'm sure you could talk to a lot of people and be like, yeah, I mean, if you could ride with 100, ride 100 miles, you can totally ride with me. And most people hear that and they are like, yep, I don't want to go that bad. <laughs> like, I don't want to go at all. <laughs> yeah. But your 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 excuse is boredom, or your reason was boredom. Yeah, there's not uh, not a whole lot to do in Erie, and just moving back. I lived around there when I was a kid, but moving back as an adult, I uh, didn't really know anybody. Had work, and started cycling to kind of learn my way around a little bit more. Oh yeah, just as something to do. So, That's cool. Kill some time. So as a new person to the sport of cycling um, and, and even like ultra endurance, like bike pack racing and stuff, what is it that, you know, pulled you in and has kept you here? Um, on social media, actually, I saw the 2019 high country race. And I think it was uh, Ted King and Ashley. Carlock. Yeah. Carlock. Or- yep. On, on Instagram, I noticed she changed her name has changed, but mm-hmm. I don't I don't remember what it is. But I know, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to think of the her new the new one. Yeah, it's it starts with a W. Um, yeah, and I I watched that and I'm like that's cool. I will do something like that one day, and that was it. So I just decided I would do some endurance bikepacking. Turns out you're good at it. <laughs> good at it. 
why do you think that you're good at it? Is, are you working harder than other people? Are you tougher than other people? Like what, well, yeah, what makes, what, yeah. You have a lot of time on the bike to think about it. <laughs> that is true. I, I guess I've never really given that much thought to it. I think um, the ability to move on from whatever happens, like, oh, you crash. Okay, I'm fine. My bike's fine. You got to keep riding um, and kind of having that that mindset and attitude with anything. Um, oh, I feel like shit. Well, I won't feel like shit forever. So get over it and keep going. Yeah, I guess having that's, that perspective. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think a lot of people like agree with that. You know, having that perspective in life, it's 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 a powerful tool. It's helpful. I think it's sometimes hard to follow that and not dwell on whatever it is you want to dwell on. But yeah, everything's always easier to say in a microphone than it is to actually do in the that real is world. True. <laughs> <laughs> we know what we're supposed to do, and we think about it. We all we always know, but it's like yeah, it's. It's not always easy to get it right. Yeah. And sometimes races don't go always go right either. All right, Chris, what makes you the East Tennessee legend? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you somebody else could answer that one better. <laughs> I know but, it's an um, uh, it's, quads uh, of steel. You know how? Yes. <laughs> um, Beard of ride, ride your bike a lot and don't shave for years, <laughs> and you'll have these legs, and you might have this beard. Yeah. Um. No, really. Um. I picked up. I picked up bikes again. Um. Oh, about about ten, twelve years ago. Um, you know, whatever early midlife crisis thing. And uh, all I had was a single <coughs> speed, so that's just what I rode. And, um, I mean, I wasn't riding 20 miles would be a lot. And um, But my mom was doing these charity rides along with my sister, brother, everybody else. And I was like, I, I should be able to do that. Like, come on, I'm like 30-something. And so I finally uh, kind of kicked myself in the in the pants and and got going and uh, remembered that I love bikes. So that kind of that got me into it. And then the single speed thing really stuck uh, with the mountain biking too. And so um, yeah, endurance. It's kind of always been my thing. Um, so, I mean, if you're not going to be fast, then you need to at least be able to go for a long time. I don't um, know. Y'all were pumping out pretty good at the start of the race <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's trained, right? It's like um, I surely I, I didn't just, you know, roll out of bed one day and like become quick or fast or able to do this for a long time. Um, but yeah, no, and to me... I'm glad you said that. I think that's an important thing that people gloss over is like, oh yeah, this didn't just happen. I've, I've been doing this and working at it and being disciplined and consistent for a very long time. And guess what? At the end of that... Right. <laughs> you can ride your bike okay. <laughs> like I said, 20 miles was like a big deal once upon a time. So, um, no, and then, you know, and it kind of... This is why I let you go first, Maggie, <laughs> so I could just jump off of what you said. Um, no, seriously, I might have a little bit of a stubborn streak, um, and so that, that pays dividends if you're going to ride a bike with one gear. Mm. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, it's uh, I, I kind of I like it to be hard. Yeah. I want to see if I can do it. At the end of it, I want to be like, wow. I didn't think I could, and and man, I I knocked that thing out, or or at least I survived to tell the story, you know. 
Um, and that's what I alluded to. Well, what I said earlier is like I do this for, you know, for the stories, you know, for the experiences, the people you meet, the things like that. Um, but it's also fantastic for headspace, um, at least for me. It's my it's my therapy. It's my processing time. No. Um, so, like, I did a thing where I wrote every day for, like, I wrote every day for, like, three years until I broke my arm. Oh. Um, I was like, I am going to ride my bike just to see if I can. And um, now that was obsessive. Not everybody needs to do that. <laughs> um, and I don't need to do it again. Um, but it was, but it was really good that consistency and just gave me kind of this, this, this anchor. Um, so maybe these are things I need in my head, uh, but I need to do hard things and, um, and experience things. Yeah. So do you tend to enter events? Um, you know, what are some other events that you've done? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Backstory and, and stuff like that. Um, as far as. Like, I I started off more with, like, um, just hard mountain biking and a lot of the Pisgah stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. A lot of my friends would do, um, you know, Pinbar is one of the, the main ones that was the touchstone. Um, but uh, Eric Weber and all the Pisgah production stuff. So I started doing all of his. Um, and those get into, I mean, they're one-day events. But then there's some of them, like, he did a 36-hour event. It was like, oh, wow, that sounds ridiculous. Sign me up. Uh, and so, yeah, I finished two stages. And then I finished three. And then Eric coached me through it. Like, come on, man. Like, don't sleep. You can go back out. You can do this. And it's amazing what you can make yourself do. So I started with stuff like that. But then the bikepacking came on with uh, probably Transnorth, Georgia. Um because living in Tennessee, it's the closest one yeah. that's uh, accessible. And so I went down and failed miserably uh, <laughs> once. Uh, As in DNF? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, me and my buddy, we, we made it like 80 miles and some hurricane came in. And, I mean, it's Georgia in August. Um, and, uh, and then we hightailed it out of there for like 40 miles, and that was it did the grand depart the next year and anyways finally eventually finished that but um but i had the bug and so i did um the amlx here in west virginia i don't know that one. Oh, uh is it like the vlx it's so there's the allegheny mountain loop okay that you may have heard of mm -hmm. and that's a uh aca route and then the AMLX is a one-way trip from Blacksburg, Virginia, up to um, Fairfax, a little point of Maryland, yeah. and back. So, ironically or conveniently, uh, we rode some of the same stuff yesterday. Oh. So, I grew up in West Virginia, so I love anything West Virginia. Um, but that one was the first, like, oh my goodness. Like, this is three days, 500 miles. Um, there were only, like, six people at the start. And so I spent the whole time by myself. Um, and it was like, I mean, it was kind of, I mean, honestly, it was scary. Yeah. I'm like, um, I'm freezing out here. <laughs> I didn't bring enough stuff. What am I going to do? I don't have enough food. The store's closed. So true. You become resourceful. Yeah. You know? 
and you're not, um, I mean, if all goes well, you're not going to die out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, you, you can you can persevere um, with a lot less than you think. And so I'm a planner, but still, um, yeah, be flexible and be resourceful. Yeah. And um, you do as much planning as you can at home, but you got to be resourceful when things don't go according to plan. Yeah. So then what bikepacking has then evolved, uh, for me anyways, as it's almost this ex- excuse or a way to see new places. So like Colorado Trail and like Maggie talked about the Arkansas high country, which I did in 21. Um, and so just what's the next big one? Uh, so I'm always looking and, and scoping things out. And um, so, yeah. I guess uh, you said you're coming to East Texas, so. Yep. Uh, not a, not, it's not a next big one, but it's a fun one. Yeah. You'll do you'll do well out there. It's a good single speed course. I don't know about that. No? It's a little flat. But you, don't, but. But you can pick a, a, a lower gear, right? And right. just hammer it out. Right. Yeah. So you might be walking some hills, but Travis Travis talked me into that one or sold it. He sold it real good to me and um oh yeah, and I'm a sucker for riding bikes with friends. Yeah. So uh so road trip out there for that one for sure. Good. And I haven't spent any time in Texas, so give it a try. Well it's like you said, I mean, one of the coolest things for me has been um introducing people to Texas through cycling and so many people are coming right. from out of state just because they say the same thing you did. I've never been a tag. Kind of curious what you know. You hear about it all the time, and uh, it's it's a great way to go and and see a lot of you know Texas. And it's why I'm creating three routes. I don't know if you know, but I'm doing the East, Central, and West Texas because you, it's too big for to get it all in one. <laughs> it's a pretty big state. Yes. Yeah. So we'll do it in three. But, all right. Good introductions, both of you. Thank you. Now I feel like I really know you. Uh, <laughs> why single speed? Everybody has a why for single speed. All the reasons. Everybody should at least try single speed. Absolutely. I always say that. I'm like, you don't, like, you have this preconception. I can't, I can't ride single. I don't know how you do that. Well, when you were a little kid, your bike only had one gear. And if you couldn't get get up the hill, you got off, you walked it for a second. Um, but it's a real pure way of riding, right? You don't have to think about, oh, geez, did I shift before the hill, on the hill? Am I? No, just go ride your bike. Like, and, and so there's something, um, yeah, just, just real simple and basic about it that I really love. Um, maybe I'm a little bit of a, a masochist or I don't know what they say, uh, or, or dense, um, <laughs> that I really... I mean, Maggie said it about the climbing. Like, I love climbing. Decided at one point, people like to, like to, I don't like to climb. The climbs are so, I'm like, I don't have time or I don't want to spend time in that headspace. So practice climbing, get good at climbing. And then you can ride your single speed anywhere you want. Yeah. You know, so. And it, it you let's go like that mental energy that you're always spending did i shift should i shift can i climb it should i hammer harder you, you kind of take that away <laughs> <laughs> right yeah all right maggie yeah uh i think a lot of the same reasons i i kind of like the um what do i have in me today 
when you get out on the single speed because there's some days that you're going to be able to climb the hill and there's some days that you're not and that's fine and I think some of it comes down to headspace but I also after having started riding single speed kind of fell in love with uh I think of it like an art form because you have to analyze your course think about what you're doing what it looks like think about your gearing um it's never going to be right for everything obviously um so the majority of the ride you look at how do I best choose the gear for what I'm doing and it it comes with studying the map studying the route all those little pieces that come together in the route planning and I think that's a piece that I really really fell in love with with single speeding do you ever get frustrated when you pick the wrong gear? Hundred <laughs> percent, always. It's it's either always the like, right gear, or always the wrong yeah. gear. <laughs> yeah, you have like three hundred to a thousand miles to think yep. about the one thing that you know, the, the the one wrong gear that you chose. Do you ever get frustrated by single speeding in other ways, like when you're on a flat and you want to be going flat faster but can, or is it just more of a mental shift where you're like, okay, take a break. I get frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> <that answer. laughs> I've learned to learn to kind of calm those demons a little bit and like just self-talk, I guess. But when you're spun out and you're spun out for like, I don't know, what was that going into Parson? That was, a, that was, was like, a long section. Like 50 minutes of like, I can't really put pressure on the pedals. Like I'm just spinning. So what you have to do is go, oh, well, this is recovery. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just going to recover and I'm going to take in the scenery. (laughs) But that's also why I don't want to go ride in Florida. Uh, (laughs) I would like to be in the mountains. So we got a little bit more hills in Florida, but not much. It's actually hillier than people think on anyway. Uh, All right. Any other thoughts on single speed before I move on, Maggie? No, I agree. I think everybody should try it. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. I don't think it's as hard as people think either there's parts that are harder well also this is coming from a guy that lives in texas and i don't have big mountains and stuff so i mine take would take with a grain of salt but it's not <laughs> i need to go to like high country and try single speed and then i then i can really talk yeah it's that's a special one for it <laughs> yeah. you know so no no it's uh it's good stuff so that's all, all I have. So people like to be like, oh, yeah, well, you, ooh, you brought your single speed. And I'm like, well, I brought my bike. So <laughs> um, it's as silly as a silly does, and that's what I got. So, All right. Yeah. What gear uh, did you pick for Grusk, and uh, what, was it the right gear, gear ratio? I would have to do the math. Uh, I ran a 32.18 with a 2 by one tire. I've been looking in gear inches because I switched from tire size last year. So I know that's about 51.1 gear inches. Um, I went from 650B to 29. So to figure out what my gearing was, I had to look at gear inches instead of ratios because they're a little different from tire size. Again, that whole nerd thing, art thing, whatever you want to call it, I'm there. There's a little bit of both in there, yeah. Big time. Um, I know I, I work part-time in a bike shop, and they all say that I'm the biggest nerd they've ever met when it comes down to all this stuff. Um, yeah, I Seems I actually working really out. All the, like, mental energy you're putting in is, like, it's probably attributing to your success to some extent. It does, yeah. yeah. And I, I like to take my time and, and figure that out. I, I definitely like that gear. Um, I hit a rough patch, and so I didn't get 
I took some time walking some of the hills that I think were definitely climbable um, with that gearing. But I'd say overall, if I came back, I'd probably run a similar or the same gear. And you almost, almost had me convinced about learning gear inches, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit of a Luddite, um, and uh, I like the simplicity. So, yeah, so I, I always think ratios. Um, and so the bike that I brought, um, I run 50C tires on it all the time, and it's the one that I did high country on. And so I'm always thinking, like, what did I run for high country? What did I run for X, you know? Um, and I ran 3820, which is the same thing that I tend to have on this bike, which climbs pretty well, but then I can also get some speed. Um, I ran 3821 last year for the Grusk 220 and made myself a little note that you might be able to do 3820 and go faster. Um, yeah, it hurt more. Uh, I'm yeah, sure remember when he said he was a masochist? <laughs> <laughs> um, I might have enjoyed it more on the flats a little bit. Um, so, no, I'd do, you know, I'd probably do it again. The masochist thing you should do 38-19 next year. Uh, yeah. Like, you've already done it at 38-20, man. So you're getting know. in my head, Patrick. Yeah, I'm trying to. Careful, it's dangerous. Uh, it's so. scary in there. <laughs> right. So you think you'd run the same gear next year, probably? Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I think um, I think the harder gear was probably better because I was able to clean almost all the hills except for that heinous gravel one early. Uh, Thomas Mountain. Mm -hmm. If anybody ever wants to come do the mm -hmm. 260, just be forewarned. Uh, it's brutal. Um, but I was able to clean all the other ones. You get into like a, I mean, a cadence of like 40. I don't know. I mean, tremendously slow yeah. on some of this stuff. Um, but if I can You're turn just it over, barely turning it. Yeah, yeah. So just it's good. But that's what that's what those thighs are for, right? Yeah. <laughs> As Stana, you just you use your body weight. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> all I got to do is get that crest <laughs> and lean in on it. All right, y'all both did the two sixty mm -hmm. route, and so. You mentioned that you've done the 220 before. Correct. Um, Maggie, have you done either of these before? No. Okay, so two My different questions then. Um, what event events have you done previously? Like what routes have you done previously? And why did you decide to do the 260 this year? Um, so framed as per Grusk. For Grusk, yeah. yeah. In yeah. particular, um, Grusk has been around for quite a while. And this is number so, eight, I believe. Yeah, so if people don't know, that's the gravel ride up Spruce Knob, Spruce Knob being the highest point in West Virginia. Um, so re really neat. Um, and so it started off, though, as a gravel race and like a kind of a standard straight up. I think it was an 80 always. Uh, he might have had a shorter distance as well, but a one-day event kind of thing. And then he picked up, uh, Travis started the bikepacking business, or, or sorry, the bikepacking options maybe four or five years ago. And um, and so I kept, I kept pinging him, hey, you need a single speed class. And he's like, well, I don't know if I have enough interest. And so I bugged him for two or three years, and then he finally created one. So he, anyways, he called my bluff. Uh, so I came last year and did the 220, which was the long one, uh, the Venti, I think he calls it. 
And uh, and then for this year, he added 40 miles kind of to the beginning of it to create the 260 Lungo or Lungo um, course. So, and it's, it's, it's a really beautiful course. Uh, it's really neat, really nicely spaced out, um, very quiet. So uses a little bit of rail trail and some things like that. Um, also a little single track and some really heinous roads, um, but uh, but you don't have to play with traffic, so it's nice. Yeah. All right. And so you haven't done the grass before. This is your first time out here. It is. Um, yeah. So then, you know, how did you hear about it? Why did you come out here? And yeah, how- I think. My friend Steve did the 85 last year and it said it was a nice event. Um, there aren't a lot of bigger overnighter options near the Erie area, unless you really want to go, you know, big distances. So it was nice to have one relatively close to home. Um, and I think I had originally signed up for the 220 because I think the 260 came later after yeah. registration had opened. And then as soon as he opened it, I uh, transferred my registration to the 260. I figured if I'm going to come down here, I might as well go for it. (laughs) (laughs) You are a single speeder at heart. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you've done, I mean, you both have done, you know, much longer events than this. So I would say, do you just kind of always default to the longest one or? This is still all new. This is um, my second year doing the races. So I figure whatever kind of sounds fun. I'll just do it. Okay. That's your approach? Yeah. Yeah. Whichever one sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> Define fun. Like, what? what is it about a route that, you know, what about this one? Yeah. Let's talk about this one since we're here. Uh, what was it about this one that was like, oh, that's fun. I want to do that. Um, See how this music does in the background. I like the <laughs> idea that he offered it as a, a three or a two day. So you could tour it or race it. Um. And I agree wholeheartedly with Chris. It's such a cool way to see places, although half of it's in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) The touring might work better. I'm sure it was very beautiful (laughs) at two o'clock in the morning. Um, But actually, that fog this morning was incredibly beautiful. So watching the sunrise like that in the middle of some random woods somewhere, just totally gutted is I kind of find a pleasurable experience. Yeah. And so I like to do that in different places and yeah, I get to explore a little bit more. So why uh this one is just it's local. It's it's a longer distance, beautiful mm-hmm. area. Happened so. to fit in my schedule. Had yeah. some friends doing it. Yeah. So uh so what were your what were your goals? What was your strategy? Uh was it just to have fun or or did you come here to um, I had wanted to come ass. in um, and try to shoot for 28 hours was my goal. And I have no idea where that came from. I always kind of give myself an arbitrary uh, sticking point to try to work towards. It helps keep me on pace. And I think that sometimes helps with that stubbornness, um, you know, to keep pushing through. So that was kind of my only goal. But I think overarching is just always just a finish. Yeah. Except I totally was going to bail on that. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll finished. get into that. <laughs> why did, why, uh, you said arbitrary 28 hours, but <laughs> then you're very nerdy with your gear ratio. I bet it's not arbitrary. I bet you have some 
math that you're doing to get to that number. Yeah, I guess I kind of do. I I figure with, I look at the climbs, the grades on the climbs, how often they're coming on the course. And um, I figured if I ride-wise was averaging around a 10, 10 and a half with stops, that should hit that, that 28-hour mark. So it's I guess it isn't arbitrary <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, it's your own method. It's yeah. not like there's a, a rule book or something where, you know, the, you went off like last year's times and you just figured it out for yourself. Yeah. What, what was your time this year? Uh, I think I ended up with 30 hours and 35 minutes. All right. Um, a little bit off. All right. Your turn, Chris. Um, I did. So, it, I mean, so it really goes back to doing the 220 last year. Mm-hmm. And the 220 was quite a learning experience because I, I didn't know anybody who had done it single. Um, and so what I, I tend to do is go and like, look and like, well, how fast did somebody else do it? And so I'll try to figure it kind of that way. Um, then you can do the average speed, which is also like a really, really good way, but I had no idea. So I packed enough stuff in case last year might've taken me 36 hours. Like I I took a puffy jacket. I took like the stuff in case I needed to sleep and, uh, and then, but just kept pushing. And next thing I knew it took 20 hours. So I was like, oh, oh, Oh. so this is a race. This isn't isn't just bike packing. This is like we could put the hammer down. And so from last year. Like like Lars Marge said, we're going to throw a new (laughs) one in there. Uh, One of the cool things about the event is that you can bike pack it, you know, bike camp it essentially, or you can throw the hammer down, which is a fun way to, you know. Oh, totally. Mix the two and one event yeah and and yeah and i'll i'll for half a second just say that i tend to be the one who wants to like push the limit i want to see like how fast can i do that um and that's not the only way to do it a lot of people have a great time coming out and doing these and i think it's like should be said coming out and touring this is freaking awesome yeah uh people that really get to see it and heck they're out there longer than i am so one might even say that it's harder to go out and tour it um anyway so back back to what what you initially asked about um i figured if i could do the 220 and 20 hours that if we're going to add 40 miles uh if everything went great it could be 24 but I told myself anything 28 or 30, I would be really happy with. Um, so I was actually on pace to break 24, wound up at 24.50, I think. Oh, wow. So so I'm, I'm plenty happy with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying, oh, wow. Uh, last night when we were talking, I think I did the math wrong in my head because I was like, oh, you did it in 24 and you were tired. I think you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then later on, you went and looked and you're like, oh, dang. Have you heard of uh, bikepacking math? Yes. <laughs> so everybody who rides the bike and you're doing all this like extended math about average speeds, yeah. it's all incorrect. <laughs> Every bit of it. Yes. yes. Yeah, the simplest math problem becomes the hard you're not it's it can be frustrating because you're just talking to your brain like, bro, you know how to do this. <laughs> like why can't you make why can't you make this make sense in your I was head? multiplying thirteen <laughs> times twelve point five. Uh, while I was riding. I mean, you got plenty of time. That is so, true. You know, why not? <laughs> anyway. 
When I came in this morning and they asked what my finishing time was, I looked at my watch and I said 11.30. And, but it was after we were talking and sitting there. I'm like, it's 11.30 right now. And then I walked away. And then I, came, I had to come back. I'm like, no, I finished at 10.30. I don't know. I was telling you what time it was. She's like, no, I understand. Yeah, <laughs> and then right. she goes back later. She was like, I actually finished last night. I don't know. I don't know what I was doing. It was um, 6 o'clock yesterday. You're right. It was a course record. That's really weird. <laughs> uh, so what did y'all think about the route? Um, you touched on it a little bit. So we'll let uh, Maggie. We'll go Maggie this time. I'm, I'm going to confuse myself. Keep me or, on my toes. Myself or the audience with this one. But uh, yeah, what were... What were your takeaways this was your first time here yeah um so what did you think about the area and the course the event any of it it's beautiful um it definitely reminds me a lot of i mean we're in the monongahela state forest the allegheny national forest up in pennsylvania and uh vermont as well because it's a lot of rolling hill farm country and so that did make me think of vermont i really liked the course I think we were kind of talking this morning, Chris and I, I think it would be really cool to tour it because there were some of the roads that we hit at night that were pretty technical or more technical riding. And uh, that would be nice to see during the day. But I think there's just some element of fun to do those kind of things at night too. Um, it was a lot more technical than I was expecting. I... I said it when I came in, I think I really underestimated the course because I looked at mileage to feet. It was about 85 feet per mile. And um, I didn't look at much else than that. I'm like, ah, that's not bad at all. And they were long, steep climbs. Yeah, um, hour long So did climbs. you not factor in the, 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 like it was flatter than you in some sections, so that made the overall ratio different yeah and i i just didn't expect the climbs to be as long as they were i mean there were a couple that were uh, a good you know two three miles of climbing that you were getting in there the descents were just as fun because they were just as long but i i don't know why in my head i wasn't expecting them to be that long and steep long climbs but it's really beautiful is it more beautiful than hard or more hard than beautiful hmm mm, it's a good one I think that was a pretty solid ratio, a 50-50 split. Ooh. Yeah. That, oh, that's a sweet spot right there. Yeah. I I really enjoyed the course. Any other thoughts on, I mean, you keep coming back, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for West Virginia. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, um, it, it's just a really wonderful tour of this area, really. Um, and, yeah, I... I think it may be even prettier than it is hard, um, but that's, I mean, that's relative, right? You know, um, there's, there's things like Trans North Georgia has pieces that are, I mean, that climbs that are definitely harder. Um, and I would say high country has climbs that are harder Yeah. and some terrain that's more rugged. Um, so... Yeah. I'd, I'd like to get y'all's thought. I mean, I didn't get to ride it. I was just out driving around. I, I actually did a bikepacking trip here in like 2018 or 2019. Um, some of the same roads. Like I went to Spruce Lake, uh, Spruce Knob Lake on my trip when I was up here. But um, it reminds me a lot of like Arkansas. And my thought was like, it because it's very green, it's very hilly, a lot of water. Um, but Arkansas just seems a little more rugged. 
uh, and a little more challenging. And so I actually felt I was like, this one, this one I actually would maybe uh, lean towards personally wanting to come and just bike pack it. D- did y'all feel the similarities? <laughs> there it is. I, I will, I'll jump in real quick. Um, that I, I think there are definitely similarities when you get, you're talking about Appalachian Mountains, right? Yeah. So um, you're going to have those similarities in there and like the Arkansas high country. Yeah, I think it, it's a little bit more rugged, like I said earlier. Um, but I've I found a lot of similarities between Arkansas and then like East Tennessee, where I'm from, the East Tennessee, North Carolina and Georgia mountains. Um, it's really it's like a book folded in the spine on the Mississippi. Oh. I mean, it's the same stuff in Arkansas. Um, but West Virginia is a tiny bit. I mean, it sounds ironic to say, but it's a little softer. Yeah. In a good way. Like, it, it makes it a little more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we should say just this course, too. I'm sure it could be oh, meaner sure. if somebody <laughs> wanted true. it meaner. No, I talked to Travis about that, and he, he told me specifically that he doesn't want it to be super gnarly. He wants, you know, he doesn't want to make it hard just for the sake of making it hard, you know. And that's the cool thing about races is they can all be a little different, and that's how his is, and I dig it. I don't, I, I'm not as masochistic as you are. I like to do hard things, but not like the hardest. <laughs> I don't need it on expert level, you know? That's why there's chocolate and vanilla. <laughs> That's right, man. Uh, man, I don't know how this music will do. See, uh, let's talk about how, uh, how your individual races went. Um, I was blown away by the pace at the beginning of the race. Um, from everybody, but especially y'all, because y'all singer speed, single speeders were up in the up in the pack, you know, early on. Um, Maggie, I know you said you were thinking about throwing in the towel. You've <laughs> you've got a big bandage on your arm. Let's start with you. you <laughs> oh, and your phone's about to fall out of your pocket. It looks oh, like thanks. Yeah, um, yeah. So how'd your race go? Um, overall, it was it was good. I think that's a nice thing about any kind of race like this is there's so many highs and lows that you go through you finished it and that's the biggest high of all to be able to just have that um the beginning pace was a blast because i think that the three single speeders we found each other pretty quickly well chris you were way ahead for a while and uh we caught up and so the three of us stuck together for a while, and we were just having kind of fun picking people off for a bit <laughs> and uh, all just feeling really good, really strong. And the climbs at the beginning were fast. Uh, I feel like those were a little bit shorter. Uh, the gravel was really smooth. Everything was really great. And so it was a faster pace at the start of that. It was kind of, I feel like the, the bigger climbs came a little bit, a little bit after that, that first bit, Tom, after Thomas Mountain. Um, it starts to get a little bit longer climbs, steeper climbs. So that was an absolute blast. Um, I, we were coming, let's see, we had all kind of split off by that point. We probably at like, I don't know, maybe mile 40, 50, something like that. And so I was coming down, there's a, a steep descent coming down, long descent after the fire tower, which is part of the 60 miles that got added on from the 220. And, uh... They were, um, I don't know, cutting down trees, whatever it's called, doing the forestry work. Logging. And uh, one of the 
machines. The guy started it up right as I was kind of coming around the bend, and it it sort of lurched a little bit. Like it wasn't going to come out in the road, but it scared me. And I realized that at that point I was not remotely paying attention to what I was doing. But I swung wide, and my back tire caught loose gravel, and I went down. And uh, you know, Chris and I were laughing about it. You kind of jump up really quickly. You're like, ah, I'm okay, bike. Mm-hmm. Bike's good. Hop back on and kept riding. Did and, people uh, see you wreck? Did, no, I think I was people? by myself. Oh, okay. Yeah, at that point. <laughs> I uh, pop up faster if someone's watching. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. Uh, what mileage was that at? Oh man, maybe About. seventy-five something so like early that. On. Yeah, it was pretty. Yeah. It, was yeah, it was pretty early. And I, I, oh, that's did, right, I decided by the time not to I look saw at you it. at Cash, you were bloody. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't look at it because um, I'm like, eh, it hurts. But then I'll just like, it probably looks worse than it is. And so I could feel the blood running down my arm, but I'm like, ah, it'll dry up. So kind of keep rolling. And um, it was really enjoyable. That's, I think the sections up there were some of my favorite because you were in more forest road, um, some muddy sections, just kind of climbing and descending but just all forest. It was really, really beautiful. And the fire tower was pretty cool to see. I've actually had my name on a wait list to stay at that fire tower for like a year. Oh, wow. (laughs) I've not gotten the call yet. If anybody (laughs) hears this. Um, Put in a good word for me. Put in a good word for your elbow though. I'm curious, like how bad was it after all? It's, there is a lot of gravel in my arm. Yeah. Uh, But I, how painful was it when you were riding? Is it one of those things where kind of the pain waited until you were done or did it sink in? No, it, it hurt pretty bad, yeah. but I think because I hit my hip. Uh, so every time I would sit on my saddle for a while, I was sitting on a, bru- on a bruise. So mm. that kind of hurt worse than, uh, than my arm. But I put my arm warmers on, which stuck to the blood. And so peeling those off. <laughs> the, that didn't look. Yeah, that didn't look. <laughs> that fun. would kind of hurt. Yeah, I watched you do it. <laughs> but Looked all fun. in all, I have. Uh, it's like a big ass band aid. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, it won't stay on, but I'll have some nice chunks of gravel to pick out of my arm as it heals up. Not too bad. Maybe your body will just reject him and it'll start pinging out yes. of your body. Maybe <laughs> that'd be kind of cool. The body is amazing. All right, so how the rest of it go after all that? It was good. I think. Um, Chris and I ran into each other at the Dollar General oh, at right. 85. Yep, in Green Bank. Yep. And uh, I was feeling great um, at that point. We Why parted. didn't you stop at that general store? You said they didn't have water? Yeah, so I ran in and they had absolutely no water. Weird. Yeah. That is and, such a uh, weird thing not to have at a convenience yeah. store. Because <laughs> I thought I'd fill up my I reservoir. I thought that's and, what you said, but I was like, no, she could have. They had to have water. Not a single bottle of water there. <laughs> welcome to Arkansas. Or welcome to <laughs> we are. West uh, Virginia. Uh, Could Cass. be Arkansas too, you know. Yeah. Cass doesn't have much. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So but Dollar it was, General it was. It was your purchase at the Dollar General that might have changed yeah. your ride. Oh. I, think, I think that did it because I uh, was trying to load up easy stuff. I swear by Uncrustables. That's my favorite thing to eat on rides. <laughs> um but I picked up a box of, so we had to pack for, let's see, that was 80, mile 85. Our next stop was around mile 170. So it was a little bit of mileage. So I bought a box of strawberry shortcake cake rolls. 
And I probably ate four of those in pretty quick succession. And my stomach just went to hell after that. And um, so I actually really struggled getting food down. And I... They were bad or no, I think I just ate too many. <laughs> I probably should have spaced it out with some other stuff. Um, and it was just like a sugar gut bomb, yeah. So I spent a solid, I would say, probably 70 miles just horribly nauseous and rolled into, but my not moving bad. I was still pedaling and, and overall felt pretty good on the bike. I was just starting to have trouble eating. So by the time I hit Parsons was 170. I went into the um, gas station, got some drinks, and I had told myself before that that if you were still there, then I was going to put my bike in the back of your rental car and get <laughs> and get a ride back. At mile 170? Yeah. What time did you get there? Um... Oh, I have no idea. It was... You got there about... 9.30? Yeah. You were 10 miles behind me That's when so I funny. was at okay. McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, maybe close to 10, quarter to... Quarter Side of. note, I was actually headed up there. It's Parkins? Is that is that any name of the Parsons. town? Parsons. Parsons, That's yeah. right. Okay, so I was headed up to Parsons, and then my rental car, uh, the check engine light came on, so I took it to an auto zone in the closest town, which was Elkins. And then I had to like communicate with the rental place. Be like, what do I do? Like, I can't fix your car for you. I'm three and a half hours. So I was actually on my way up there to, to do the race, to, to photograph the race and just follow it. And I got stuck in Elkins uh, messing with that stuff. And so I almost was there. It was probably a good thing. I'm glad I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Now. Yeah. But there is absolutely no cell phone service. I've never in this given area. anyone a ride off course like when I was media, and I really never want to. Not to say I would have, yeah. I wouldn't have, but that's like, I don't know. It makes me feel bad because then you're like the easy out, you know? And like now that's you're true. saying, I wish you weren't because like it made me finish, right? Yeah. So it would make me feel guilty. <laughs> anyway, I wouldn't have been mad. But no, I, I called uh, my two friends that are doing the race, and they had no cell service. And uh, so I called my wife and I was like, well, I feel like absolute shit and I don't want to do this anymore. And she was like, well, that's too bad because you're out there and it's only 90 miles. Uh, and preface that with she's the best, worst motivational person to call in a race um, when you're feeling really bad. Um, but she will get you motivated. No sympathy? None at all. <laughs> like beautiful. right when you need it. Yeah, it's perfect. I remember calling her from Gravel Worlds and I was walking up a hill, like a, just feeling like crap. And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. And, she, and I'm like, I'm having a really bad time. She goes, oh, you know who's having a bad time? Everybody behind you. They're having a bad time too. <laughs> and... Uh, so, Maybe she just needs works. to record record it and people she could should. play this whenever they're feeling loud. You know who else hurts? Everybody else out there hurts. She, that she should. That can be uh, can be a nice little side income. Yeah, but, I like it. So I went back inside. I got some more drinks. I bought a bunch of ice cream. So I, I got two uh, push pops down and, uh, and headed out from there. So I don't like to take long breaks and sit. Um, at stops, I'll eat on my bike for most everything. So I shoved on the ice cream and took everything else with me. 
And my stomach never came back. I ended up walking a lot of the next couple sections because it was, um, what's it called? Canaan Loop? Yeah, Canaan Loop. Canaan Loop. Yeah, by Black Waterfalls. And it's that's special. Um, yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's all <laughs> ATV trails, but it is rugged. And that was in the dark, which was actually super cool to, to ride it like that. I'd like to see it during the day, but it was a lot of fun. And then um, shortly thereafter, there are just two, and they're pavement, but long, steep climbs. Okay. And um, I struggled, and I, I walked probably 80% of all that. Which was frustrating because, you know, at the same time, I'm like, well, I'm finishing this race. So there goes my pace goal a little bit. And I'm like, maybe I can bring it back. Um, Were you walking lack of like, did you not have strength because you didn't have calories? Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. And I was just really it was still nausea nauseous too, the whole so time. Just a combination. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. But, no, yeah, I had nothing in my legs, just kept moving. We can also quantify that those are like the two hardest climbs on the course. They are paved, but they <laughs> yeah. hit at a bad time. They do. They're miserable. Yeah. So it was a lot of, that was a lot of mental, um, actually that was probably <laughs> the best thing ever. I was going to say kind of mental frustration at that point, but you're like the only way that I can get back is if I keep going. <laughs> so at the same time, it was kind of good. And then I hit a rhythm after that and brought my pace back quite a bit. I was able to, to get some food down. I just did sips of water for probably a good two hours and that's all I could get in and slowly started coming back and I ate an Uncrustable <laughs> and uh, obviously that brings you back to life. That fixes everything. <laughs> and uh, it was not uh, my most amazing climb up Spruce Knob, but I, uh, I, I climbed, I think, everything else the rest of the race and, and still finished it. So I'm not too, not too sad about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you didn't, you weren't that far behind your pace goal, right? And mm -hmm. you dealt with some things that you certainly weren't planning on. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? So for the listener, um, you know, you do, I don't know what mileage comes out. You probably do about 240 miles before you start heading up to Spruce Knob and then you come back down. So you, the, the route takes you literally on an out and back to the highest point in West Virginia and then straight back down and then you finish uh, the race and he leaves it for the very end. Any thoughts on on that experience? I I am actually, for the time that I finished, really glad that it was at the end because it was so foggy this morning. I mean, you couldn't see 10 feet in front of you on a lot of the... Down on a lot valley. of the route, yeah, mm -hmm. it it got it was a little scary, kind of doing some of those descents with it so foggy, because you could hear the deer out, and you weren't sure if they were going to run. So all the fog had lifted when I got up to Spruce Knob. So I got some great pictures up there. Oh, nice. so I was I was excited about that. I think I like the idea that he does it at the beginning of, or excuse me, at the end of this race compared to the beginning of the other distances. Um, because you do get, it was motivating to have some people up on the hill and, you know, cheering as you're kind of coming in. It was a bit of a cluster as well. But, um, you know, it's always nice to... You got to, some races mixed in with some people yeah. that have been out there and haven't slept. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different, it's a different vibe. That is for sure. But it was really cool to see, you know, everybody excited to, to start their 
their ride and everything yeah. like that. And man, some of the people hammering up Spruce Knob was impressive. Yeah. Man, you did hit it right at the right time mm-hmm. to be able to like, yes. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit of a cluster, it sounds like, but also pretty cool. You don't have to worry about any mental stimulation. You got a lot going on, a lot of people Absolutely. to watch, other cyclists to get you stoked. And that is, that's, that's a cool perspective. Did you, did you sleep at all? Did you take any naps? Oh, I took three Brett naps. And that's a uh, coin. <laughs> yeah, tell everyone what a bread nap is. I just found out. Uh, Brett Stepanek uh, will do naps during his races and leaves his ha- uh, helmet on and lays down next to his bike just somewhere on the trail. And you pick your clothing, whether or not you're going to wear a jacket based on how long you want to nap. So you don't want to get too comfortable if it's going to be a short one. So I did one seven-minute nap and one five-minute nap, and that was it. And one of them, I started falling asleep on my bike and, and uh, tipped over and just decided while I was laying there, I'd do a quick nap. So I pulled my phone out, set my alarm for five minutes, and got a good nap in. <laughs> falling asleep on your bike, ultimately falling off your bike as a result. Is, is a good indication that maybe it's five minutes time. is... <laughs> I wonder if I should... Yeah, I think I think now is a good time to take a nap. I don't know why I pick five minutes or seven minutes or... I think during Doom, there was an 11-minute nap in there. Yeah. Just random times. Like packing like to you on your toes. Yeah. yeah. Like you're just... just what does my mind... What does my body need right now? Totally 11. 11 is solid. But it definitely wasn't 30. No. Nope. That, that isn't going to work. All right, Chris... How did how did your race go? Um, it was it was good. Um, I mean, yeah, it went it went pretty it went good. well. Okay, podcast uh, yeah. over. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'll be glad to talk about it. Let's hear um, it, buddy. Because no, it it never goes to plan. Yeah. Um. So and that's what makes it interesting. Uh, it was very fun at the beginning. Uh, that we were all with a group, and I knew not to go out too hard, but we're all stoked. So we're all like getting on it. I know we didn't ride that hard later. Uh, I mean, come on. Um, but but it was real fun um, and steady early on. And uh, aside from some of the stuff I already mentioned um, that really kind of kick you in the teeth and make you realize, oh, we're doing this a long time. We're going to have to back off. It was, um, no, it was good. It was steady. Um I managed to, so I got to the Dollar General, and then, that's right, because I saw you for a second, Patrick, and then, so I I knew that Maggie was coming and was like, well, I want to at least high-five, and and then um, and it hit the road out of there, and it, it was a little warm, but overall, it was like, it was a really pretty day, and it was overcast in the morning, which helped an awful lot. Um, so I wasn't... I probably didn't eat quite enough. I know I drank like two bottles in four hours. That's not great. Um, but but anyways, I won't go into too much detail with all that. I barely stayed on top of my nutrition. Um, and I knew I wasn't doing a great job of it. But um, but managed to hold it together okay. Um, Why were you struggling with that? Did you just forget? Did you not have the resupply you needed? Or? I just I really wasn't. You get to where... 
Well, I had forgotten to bring the peanut butter sandwich that I was supposed to make. Um, I'm terrible about this stuff. Uh, <laughs> you'd think, but that I would bring everything. <laughs> Turns out your subconscious is also masochistic <laughs> right. and intentionally making it harder on you. Sabotage so your conscious myself. brain, yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, let's see how he does with half of his uh, fuel. And no water. Uh, so, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't really drink enough. Um, I didn't eat as much as I could, but... You know, the truth is your effort level, or at least this is for me, uh, effort level kind of comes down after your body gets used to, oh, we're going to do this for a long <laughs> time. So you don't need quite as much and you kind of all zone one, two stuff. Um, I mean, it was really nice having done the route before. So I also knew what to expect for the couple big climbs. So I was real excited for the Bickle Knob, I think it is, uh, is a really cool climb before you get to Parsons. Um, and Parsons is, you know, Maggie talked about it earlier. Parsons is the first place where it's like, you can get some fast food and stuff like that. And I am, I don't do fast food on the daily, but bikepacking. Oh yeah. (laughs) I wanted some fries like nobody's business. And, uh, and McDonald's came through clutch. So that was, that was super good and kind of got me stoked and relit my fire, um, to get some real food not just eating more candy bars and uh and so everything was going pretty well at that point cruising up to davis um you know i had made it through canane loop last year before it got dark and that was really nice because we were talking about canane loops just rowdy um and so in the dark it's just going to be slower but I kind of made peace with that. So wrote a lot of that stuff in the dark. It was getting a little cold. Um, but um, kind of once you do Canaan Loop, then it's you're back onto those heinous road climbs. But there's nothing technical. And then it's just like just settle down and, and just get in it and grind it out. Um, started to get a little tired, but five-hour energy always, uh, always comes through clutch. So um, that helped me along. And um, I'm trying to get a Red Bull sponsorship personally, but you, that's good. We're not competing for energy drink. And, and like, oh, it's funny you mentioned that because there was a impromptu um, aid station somewhere around mile 135, I think. Just like on someone's yard? Yeah. With, a, with like an umbrella? Yeah, the yeah, umbrella spot. Yeah, and so they weren't real cold, but they're Red Bulls. And I don't ever drink Red Bulls, but... Uh, and I had just had half of a five-hour energy. Then I had a Red Bull. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't feel my legs. In other words, like, I couldn't feel the pain in them at all. And I was just dancing along. This is Red Bull gives you wings. Uh, Sponsor me, Red Bull. That's what I, that's what I kept saying to myself. You just fly you know? up the mountains. <laughs> so, anyways, um, yeah, later on, um, really, I felt pretty good energy-wise. Um, I was getting some electrolytes back in me, which helped. Um, muscles were kind of on the, hey, we could cramp if you keep pushing really hard. Um, so I was pushing kind of at just the diesel pace. and um, But knocked out those couple, the, um, the really nasty, big paved climbs up from Dry Fork. And, uh, and then you can kind of, you can smell the barn um, at that point. It's like, okay, we got around what is it 40 miles to go or 35 miles from the last little did you stop at the distillery 
Okay, so there's a really funky little place off route in the town of Job, and um, and it's this wonderful little distillery, um, something hollow, and I wish I could get it right, um, but they sponsor Grusk, and so they have an aid station there. Spring Hollow. Spring Hollow. Okay, Thank and it's teamwork. really. It's really kind of hard and funky to find, uh, but some friends showed it to me last year. So because I was out of water, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to 35 miles with no water. No, this isn't going to work. Um, and uh, and so filled up with water, and then it was, let's just knock this thing out. And then the, the I do like the spruce knob being at the end as well. Like I think it's this wonderful kind of like, okay, it's the namesake. It's the payoff. It's not the finish, but it's the last like real hard thing you're gonna do. Um, and then the beauty of it is that the climb isn't really that hard. I mean, it's long. It's long. There's no joke. It's gonna take you a while to do it. But the grade is really nice. It's like a four percent grade. Yeah. Uh, three to four. Then. Yeah. So I pretty much I was flying up that, just excited to get it done. I'm so stoked and. Oh man, I might be able to make 24 hours. Like, I'm going, going, going. And then I realized I'm not making 24 hours. <laughs> and so I kind of chilled out. And the, um, the blessing, though, the hidden blessing there was that I realized I'm going to get up to the top right about six o'clock and the sky is lightening up. And then it was a beautiful, like, sunrise. Uh, it actually wasn't sunrise, but like the whole sky was like, uh, the day was breaking as I came up spruce knob. So I, I sat there for a second, soaked it in. I was like, cool. Yeah, so it's really yeah, that was just for you, buddy. Yeah. Well, hey, I'll take it. In that moment it was. <laughs> right. I'm yeah. like, okay, I really like to race, but, um, let's soak this in. So that was good. Threw on a jacket, um, which is first time I put on my jacket. Um, but it was a cold descent no so um and then you have to climb a tiny bit to get back that climb hurt (laughs) Uh, my legs were so done (laughs) i left my legs up on spruce knob after 260 Uh, miles and well 250 and the last i think spruce knob is like a six mile climb something like that yeah at least yeah and then, uh, and then, so, um, but, but brought it home and, um, just in time for breakfast, um, <laughs> Travis does a wonderful setup, uh, morning of race. So as everybody else was getting ready to race, I was coming in and eating all their breakfast, <laughs> drinking all their coffee. Yeah, that was funny. We were, I was getting up to meet my day and you were wrapping yours up, I guess. <laughs> right. Delirious. Probably didn't have much to say, but, uh, I was there. <laughs> sort of. You were there and in, in, in well, in body. Yeah, a shell of myself, <laughs> yeah. as we say. In spirit, you left your spirit and legs up at yeah. Spruce Knob as well. What was your favorite part of the route? This is for both of y'all. Favorite, most beautiful, What what's your own personal favorite? And then what also was the most challenging part of the route? So the highs and the lows almost. I'll I'll start because I'm going to give the obscure answer. (laughs) Uh, And I know this won't be your answer. I I come from mountain biking, probably being my, like, true love. Um, I love gravel a lot now. But um, that Canane Loop Road has a lot of history to me when I was a little kid. And I've... It's so engaging. 
I actually like Canadian Loop. Um, people might kick me. Um, but yeah, so that's probably one of my favorite parts. It's also favorite getting it done with. Yeah. But um, other I, people I'd ask this question to, and they would put that would as their, their least favorite, most challenging part. But yep. the masochist here is <laughs> showing us true colors once again. <laughs> I can't help myself. Uh, then probably the part that I disliked the most was the flat section coming I in to Parsons yeah. where I just couldn't make any headway. As a single speeder, yeah, yeah that's yeah. just got to be tough. That and that rail trail section. Yeah. Oh, Greenbrier? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful, though. It was. I've actually, that, that was part of the route that I did whenever I bike-packed here. It, I liked it with as a geared person. It was very easy. <laughs> that, that's exactly what I thought many times. I'm like, well, geared people are probably like, this is the bee's knees. Now I get to make time. Yeah. Um, which I just got to recover, I guess. Yeah. And then you made up the time on the climbs. Yes. Give me more. Give me more climbs. <laughs> what do you got? Marge. Um, oh, I haven't called you Marge yet. What do you think, Marge? I think um, two parts that I think were probably my favorite. One... Um, and it's not course part, but at the the beginning when the three of us were riding together, that I think set the stoke for the whole rest of the, for the ride. Cause we just all left each other so pumped to see what, what came in the, in the race. And I think it's super super fun to have that and like you touched on the community of people that bike pack. Oh, yeah. And I think that's such a big takeaway from all the different rides um course wise i'm sorry just real quick who was the other single speeder in uh his name is cooper um and he was riding flat bars his background's more single speed or single track um he's actually going to be at uh trans north georgia as well awesome yeah, yeah he's from greensboro north carolina yep. it was real nice to meet him yeah single speeders unite <laughs> always do so that, it was fun we we had uh we had a lot of fun riding together um I think sunrise on a bike pack route is my absolute, absolute favorite. And I know there's some people that don't like it. Uh, I will never understand why. I know. And uh, the sunrise this morning was absolutely gorgeous because the sun started coming up over the mountains and it was behind me um, just as the fog rolled in. So the fog was lower than the mountains and it was absolutely gorgeous and completely silent completely dark and so all you could see was just like the slice of light coming up behind me and then I was in the rollers after you come off the pavement and hit the gravel and you're in the gravel in the farms for a while and it's just descending into the fog and then you'd climb out of the fog and descend back into the fog so I think for me that was my favorite part of the course but it was wholly the just the whole experience of all of it and I think that sun comes out and that's just like fresh legs for me um and I'm gonna have to probably go with the canon loop um I was so drained at that point I would get on my bike and ride like 10 feet and get off and walk 20 and ride four feet and walk 17 whatever it is um, and I finally hit a point and I was like, I am just going to walk all this. Um, cause there was some boggy, gross smelling water along there. Mm -hmm. And 
I was cl- like bushwhacking in these rhododendrons <laughs> to oh, get around no. it because I did not feel like getting on my bike and having my shoes smell even worse than they already do and get them wet at that point because that's all I could think was you gotta if do I get- the one foot ratchet yeah yeah that's true yeah um I think I think in the daylight I would probably have an absolute blast on that but it just so happened to be when I hit it uh, not being in a good headspace on that one. But the other that I actually liked was out of Parsons. I think it's the Allegheny Trail that you come into. And it was that real narrow trail. It was kind of overgrown. And you could just rip through it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. hit that at dark. So it was completely pitch black. And I just ripped through that thing. That it, was really fun. And it's such like a steady grade. Yeah. Like you don't really need to see what's coming up because yep. I had my light on low. It was just getting dark then too for yep. me. Like just boogieing right along, grind it out. Yeah. That was just a fun, unexpected section. Awesome. Well, <clears throat> one thing that I like about this event is is what I do at the East Texas Showdown, which is blend longer distance riding with shorter distance riding and then throwing a party afterwards where everybody kind of finishes in a time where everybody can like enjoy it. Um, so I think it's time to go, go party unless we didn't talk about anything or we <laughs> missed anything that y'all want to talk about. No, no, it's been real nice chatting um, yeah, before and during this. Yeah. So it's been a great time. Yeah, well, thank y'all for coming on the podcast. It was I had a blast like watching and just being out there. And uh, every time I saw y'all, y'all were taking pictures or smiling when I was taking a picture, which was always nice to see. Um, but I were I would really like to come back and I would like to tour it. Um, oh yeah, I think it's just so beautiful and it is a really it looks like a really nice course. And I've written, like I said, I've written some of it, so I I know it's it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it would definitely be worth doing that. Are you coming back next year? Probably. What about you, Chris? Probably. We'll see. I told him I'd do the 85 next year. <laughs> do the 25. Yeah. Right, let's I'm just get the going fastest time. And back down. Let's just come knock this thing out. <laughs> bike pack some other day. No. So you got, uh, I assume you have the F, do you have the FKT single speed record? Yeah. yeah so this is the first now, year on the 260, right? Yeah. So y'all both. And then the 260. So y'all both set the FKT on the 260 route oh, for yeah. single speed. I guess so. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Look at y'all. Shoot, now Couple I have studs. to come back. Yeah, right? Now, yeah, now y'all I got to go for Or, a or you just time. let it linger until someone takes it and then you come then back. Come and, back. Ooh, yeah, so. I could. You know, like, <laughs> like it's there. I mean, I already did it. So, you know, come and get you some, you know? All right. Sounds good. Well, let's go. Uh, I guess we get to celebrate your victories now. Your FKTs. Sounds good. All right. Cheers. Cheers to that. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. And thank you to Travis for bringing me out to Grusk to check out the event, for treating me so well, and for being a guest on the podcast. I had a great time. It truly is a well-run event. And it's a beautiful area, beautiful venue, and I would absolutely love to go back myself one day and actually ride the route uh, that, like I said on the podcast, that 
the touring pace of like the 260 mile route seems about perfect and right up my alley. So maybe I'll be able to make it back there next year. Also, huge shout out to my guests today on the podcast, Chris and Maggie. Uh, absolutely killed it out there on the first ever run of the new 260 mile route, both on single speeds, showing us how it's done absolutely blown away by both of these legends and uh just shows that the uh bikepacking and gravel scene is groovy just about anywhere you go uh, including out in the middle of nowhere of west virginia all right well next week i'm releasing an interview that i did with hannah simon after her tour divide i flew in to austin uh from west virginia on monday And then I drove back to Austin on Thursday to chat with Hannah, and we talked all about her Tour Divide, uh, which is epic in in and of itself. But if you listen to my first episode with her, um, you'll know that that is just the first step in what she set as a big challenge this, this year, which is the Triple Crown. So this next episode... We're talking about her Tour Divide, but we're also talking about her preparation for the Colorado Trail, which is coming up in less than 30 days. So um, that's coming out next week. I'm excited for that episode. I hope you are too. I appreciate you so much for being here and checking out this episode. If you would like to support these episodes, we'd encourage you to go visit patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. And maybe kick a couple dollars our way as a thank you and to help us produce these episodes. All right, that's it. Well, until next week, you know what to do. Don't forget to go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike Memories forgotten from the previous night You rode faster than ever before Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer Your bike feels weightless, your legs aren't tired You think to yourself just a few more miles Bikes Oh, death Bikes Oh, death